0: And so building better actionable tools there and supporting the first line sales managers or account manager managers, et cetera, I think is is a huge weakness in organizations today. and something you really need to focus on because at the end of the day, all change is going to live and die with them, right? If they don't take it seriously or if they don't do this, people are going to struggle and they're going to go back to their old habits regardless. And then I think at the field level as where we started, it's then being able to provide those same sort of actionable insights to the field.
1: Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. Today, I'm joined by Zach Gropper. He's the founder and CEO of Insight Revenue. Before setting up his own business, Zach led sales teams at Gartner, Challenger, and CEB. Zach, really excited to get down to the detail today.
0: Hey, uh, Ali. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Excited for uh, the conversation today as well. Okay. You've had a
1: really interesting uh, kind of history, worked at some pretty huge organizations in the sales space have come all the way around now to, to creating your own thing with Insight Revenue. So for anyone that hasn't heard, heard about you before, come across you, could you give a little more, bit more context around your story?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so not to bore everybody to make it too long, but I've got a little <laughs> white hair, so a few different careers <laughs> to got me here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I live in Barcelona today. I've lived here for about the last eight years, but actually, as you can probably tell, I'm from the States um, so I've, you know, one part of my career, I've lived and worked in about 20 different countries, a lot of that, starting at like my first sales job ever, selling luggage on Granch Avenue in Connecticut, <laughs> through to really working with very large enterprise organizations and expanding um, around the world. Uh, and um, I think probably the most interesting, you know, part to focus on as part of that story was... Uh, I wanted, I'd never gone to business school. I never worked in corporate America per se. And after doing a lot of international work, uh, I wanted to not only be the best at sales or the best at sales management, I wanted to also learn like how do big companies really work and function. And so there's this company called CEB, which, um, is now actually part of Gartner, but a lot of, not a lot of people would have heard of corporate executive board. So it was a a fascinating uh, company that was based out of uh, Washington, D.C., And way back in 2006, um, they were on this really interesting mission to take what was a a business model like Gartner with specialty around functional areas of excellence and best practice and research. And um, they had this interesting problem, which is they were rolling out all this research to the market. um, But companies would take that research and actually try to drive change in strategy, change in behaviors and process. And what they realized was is because of the nature of this being cutting edge research. Most of their typical go tos, whether it's McKinsey or your local consultant or doing it yourself, if people just didn't have the experience with these practices. So CEB was faced with this challenge from their customers to say, let's build a a better version of professional services and let's build that as part of, you know, let's move away from our membership type business to actually be able to help companies drive change and go to market. And uh, I joined that when they were looking at the sales and marketing side of their research. And uh, that was, that ended up being, 16 years of my life uh, there. Uh, the name changed many times when I was there of that business. So we we took that business. Um, you know, CB was about 300 million in revenue. We became a billion revenue company before Gartner acquired us. We were actually the fastest growing part of that business when it was acquired, and then we were sold off to private equity as the, the company challenger. And so um, I went from working with the first companies in the field, trying to actually implement this with my this work with my own clients. To then being able to think of much more interesting and newer, more strategic ways for our business to work with them, and then ultimately running the international business. And at one point, I had uh, four or five offices outside the U.S. When we were trying to figure out how you serve um, what was perceived as a very American way of doing things in many, many international markets. And so, um, you know, I, that that role taught me a lot about not only what uh, what best practice research and sciences of selling, which was. Fascinating and never got old. And I thought I would have left there after two, three years, but stayed there, you know, for a very long time. It also taught us a lot about like how companies actually, you know, get from that 80% of getting an idea to actually the, that important sort of running to ground behavior change and strategy changes to get them to stick in wildly different shapes and sizes of companies over the years. Um, And then the only thing to add on, on the back end of that is just I've, having taken that knowledge, mostly working with large enterprise organizations. I've done some of my own scale up, uh, scale up gigs since then. So was able to help a company called AirDNA, uh, scale and sell, uh, their business to private equity as well. So I've had a couple exits under the belt now, um, and worked as a, worked as a CRO in a a couple different fields uh, before I decided to, Hey, let's put this all back to work, um, and try to do it, you know, as, as, as good as humanly possible and in better and more uh, innovative and agile ways, uh, in the market with insight revenue which I guess is the flip side of Revenue Insight. <laughs> so it brings me to that.
1: Clearly, uh, great minds came together in yeah, the naming I, of both our podcast and, and your business. I really like that. And uh, I mean, I mean uh, from your background, very much seen there and, and, and done it right from, as you say, from large enterprise organizations down to your scale-up. So what, what would you say then it is about what you've learned from those experiences to then... I kind of reached the point of going you know what uh, uh, you know I from your experience there's a, a a different way a better way of doing things and and that inevitably I assume leads into what you're now championing with insight revenues so how would you say your approach you know based on your experience is different to the status quo let's say
0: yeah and uh, I have had the good fortune to work with a lot of really smart organizations um, and the idea is like how do you build on some of the best IP and and really science, right, that there is to actually go to the next level now. And that's and that's obviously our, our mission is to say, okay, looking at learning how customers have been buying and what drives loyalty over the last 20 years from a scientific perspective, but then actually having the unique experience of working with hundreds of companies to try to drive change. Um, you know, as in any business, I think every business has its limitations based on its business model and its profit models, and and also having observed hundreds of companies try to drive let's call it commercial transformation over the years, I've just also seen that the things that go wrong, right? And so it's always been an aspiration of mine. I've been taking a little, you know, I have a notebook with also my colleagues, we've, we've come together with a passion for like, well, if you could do it all again, based on the same science and research, like, what are the things that you would actually do slightly differently to improve the traction that you get in the market? And the only thing that we find is that, you know, if you look at um, the capabilities that part, partnerships that people have, the opportunity that's out there, it's like consulting companies are great and can bring in great ideas, but they're really terrible at actually implementing change and getting behavior change to stick and doing any kind of training work. Training companies on the flip side aren't really good at actually helping with the real change management that makes most of these programs important. And there's a lot of great uh, IP and branded methodologies out there, but generally based on the confines of their business model, they can't actually adapt what they're doing to your business like that would make them too not profitable. So they try as best as they can to bring in a lot of ideas, but unfortunately those ideas stick at the theory level for the most part and don't resonate or stick in the organization for the long-term. And so if you look at kind of the things that we think uh, organizations really need to focus on and the things that break, it's the ability to really be strategic about change management with any type of, you know, go to market model change or transformation you're going through It's making sure what you're doing is actually really tangible at the field level, so it integrates into the day-to-day of the people who are actually engaging and talking with your customers. And so I know maybe later we'll talk about, well, how's that different for an SDR versus an AE versus an AM or CS uh, individual? And then there's kind of the how do you get implementation right? So there's actually a structure to driving these kinds of changes and sort of the building blocks, processes, tools you need to have in place to make sure that it it all aligns within the organization and that you're actually able to not only get initial ideas to stick, but improve over time. And so, I mean, there's a lot we've learned across hundreds and hundreds of, of, uh, of, you know, companies we've worked with. And then, yeah, of course, like personally, I've had to build and scale many sales teams myself and sort of take these ideas and try to say, like, how does this work in the real world with my teams? And fortunately, I've had a chance to do that with a number of different companies now myself. And that kind of combined gives me a rich balance, I think, of like theory and science But also, I mean, hey, at the end of the day, like people need to to understand how this fits in their day job and it can't be rocket science (laughs) for a lot of organizations. So I've worked, in some regard, like worked with organizations who who sell tens of billion dollar projects, like Siemens and turbines, uh, you know, at that level with large enterprise. But I've also worked with organizations that have an average sales cycle of, you know, two months or five to 6,000 ACV. And like these, the ideas and the science need to really plug into, what intimately an organization is doing today and how their customers operate and buy. And that's kind of, I think, closing that gap is a big gap in the market that I think we've got a better mousetrap uh, at this point to to fill.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you touched on what I think is a really important point there and um, around you've got the the strategy and, and the, the theory of it, as you put it. And then there's the execution of it, which so often is the hardest hardest part of it. And I know from conversations that we've had kind of leading into this uh, podcast today, we've been talking a lot about, you know, using data and insight to drive what those changes are. Um, you know, it's something that resonates, that, that comes up a lot in the in the podcast whenever we talk about revenue operations, because um, often it's so amazing the insight that you get, and the level of insight that you get but the challenge then is now. How do I get my sales teams on board with this? How do I get my customer success teams on board with this? So, from from your perspective, and I really liked the point that you made around uh, if you if you know if you could do it all again, what would you do differently? So, um, if we took that almost as like a blank slate, and you know if you're going into a uh, you know a kind of a mid market business now. And once you've kind of taken stock of it, what does that what does that process look like for you in terms of what do you do differently based off of those, um, uh, I guess, uh, instinctive things that you would normally do, which is you know perhaps uh, oh let's do, you know we need activity let's just do lots of cold calling right. Um, what 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 would you say is your approach and what have you learned from those experiences?
0: Yeah, so. I guess there's a lot to unpack as far as like what good looks like at different levels, um, and I, I like to start with because you could look at the organization itself, like what is it building the machinery and operations. But I, I like to always try to take a step back and look at the customer first. Excuse me. And so, um, I mean, one of the key things that we always learn is there's 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 two kinds of cultures or attitudes in an organization, if you want to really simplify, and one is an outside an inside out type of organizational crunch and one is an outside in. And just to explain the the difference of those two is if you think of uh, product-led growth, if you think of um, what the machinery of most sales organizations have been built to do, it's like, we've got great products, we've now innovated them and have great new features and benefits that we wanna bring to market. And so our machinery is, is really focused on like, let's drive our story into the market and make sure everybody knows about all the cool new stuff or the cool stuff we can do for them, right? And it's interesting because we'd seen that, I mean, that was the dominant way most companies sold. Then they'd gone through some evolutions to try to get into like more solution selling because they were getting commoditized. And then this, the era of kind of insight selling or, you know, challenger type of selling evolved. But if you actually look at what's happened over the last five years, <laughs> it's really interesting to see, especially let's, let's talk about B2B SaaS, like middle market B2B SaaS as a, as a good example. A lot of what the, the sales process that's oriented today is doing it's really glorified uh, product selling, right? It's kind of going back to uh, an older era where people were, were you know, sort of like very differentiated and you know globalization hadn't happened. But it, at the time, there was been so much money flooding into the ecosystem, like easy money, and especially into tech stacks and things like that, that a lot of companies have, have really used that as, you know, it's almost like a drug. It's like, oh, okay, so all we got to do even have is like an average product and there's enough money over the last several years that let's just build teams and they bring in lots of like junior level people and they've been churning and growing with all this PE and VC money. (laughs) And it did work to an extent and we've seen kind of the result of that. And so if you actually break break down to what's actually happening in most organizations today, they're now faced with this reality, which is they don't really understand their customers very well. So if you go into your teams and actually ask them like, like, what do your buyers really care about? What are the problems that they have? What gets them hired or, or, or uh, promoted or fired uh, in their organization? What are they really trying to do with, let's call it, your, your software or your solution? Not many people at the front line of your organization, maybe even at the leadership level, can clearly articulate that. Maybe the product organization knows about the users, right? The user level, and there's some information there which is useful. But at the end of the day, understanding the buyers and the strategies, I think that's something that's kind of gotten skipped over, unfortunately, in a lot of organizations over the last several years, especially when you're bringing in a lot of less experienced people and just kind of building this you know, high, high velocity training machine. Now everyone's trying to do, do more with less. Now there's this big focus to quality over quantity. And so, or at least hopefully there is. And I think what you want to do now is really be able to take a look at like, let's root and align our organization on how well we understand the customer, starting with their challenges and their objectives, then really, you have to understand being data-driven as an organization, like what makes them tick? The CFO right now is going through a decision-making process with their team saying, let's get rid of every nice-to-have software that we have in our stack, <laughs> especially if it hasn't been adopted or used. And there's a lot of shouting matches going on during those conversations. And we've seen the result, which means you've got these sort of big waves of downsell happening, which are affecting your AMC or CS organizations. And so what, when I look at like what, what's the opportunity now companies have, it's like, let's get back with, some of us would say it's the basics of like, know thy customer, right? So as far as what we uh, focus on now, it's like, okay, first of all, let's make sure you really understand what makes your buyer universe tick. What is, how do you quantify uh, and track and measure what they're trying to achieve? And most importantly, like, what is the cost of the status quo to them? If you need people in a tight budget environment to make decisions and be able to defend Know, to the CFO or the board, your, your, your product sol- or solution, you've got to be able to talk about the cost of status quo and the ability to get them to, let's say, let's elevate the urgency and importance of working with you. And that's really about building a business case. It's really about understanding your customers. It's really about product marketing, asking different questions to your customers to get this type of information, which ultimately it is the, the heart. It's the bread and butter of the conversations that your AEs, AMCS people have to have But it's also the bread and butter of the content uh, strategy that you should have as far as how you're laying the breadcrumbs with your social media and all your other content strategy to lead people back to you so that when they actually reach you, they're oriented to buy the way that you're differentiated, which is really, really important as far as quality business um, versus stuff you need to kick out of your pipeline. So for us, it's kind of it starts there. The tip of the spear is a lot of the work we, we recognize we're doing in the past as far as like what... Um, types of conversations drive loyalty. We did a lot of work uh, strategy, you know on, on really understanding like what does a customer experience and buying experience need to be like? What kinds of information actually drive the dial on loyalty? What types of skills and behaviors actually drive the needle on that? And then if you put two and two together, it's like if you have a deep understanding, you use that to actually have better conversations with your customer then there has to be the 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 implementation or the the structure in between. So nowadays you've got revops, which is great. A lot of companies have a cro model, which is great because you can break down the barriers and align the teams, but you need to be able to bring in sort of a new operating system to operate this way, which is not a push out to market, but it's a it's it's from working from your customer back, right? So it's it's really that outward in, which I think is is threaded through everything that we do. So it's you know, if you want to simplify it it comes down to that customer understanding to create better content and insights via insight revenue and revenue insight. <laughs> like that's the currency today that brings differentiation and value and all the science, you know, there's some great science that proves that. And then it's like, well, how do you drive change in your organization and drive alignment? And then how do you actually give the people at the front line a real leg up, especially with people with a lot of, not a lot of experience to have these better interactions, more value-driven um, interactions. And then on the you know AMCS side, to actually demonstrate impact so it's much easier to renew, cross-sell and expand. So sorry that was a that was a bit of a large picture but like I think that sort of encapsulates like if you don't do one of those key like legs of the stool, you're very likely to have to go back 6 months later and think of a new idea.
1: I really liked the the summary that you've given across the 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 customer journey there and I think the the bit that's most interesting to me. And, and we've talked a lot about the strategy and the theory at the top of it, but it's then there's so many different ways you can get into the tactical pieces around actually aligning on that customer journey. So appreciate that we could spend a lot of time going through each one, one by one, but to, we to have you. Three
0: what... hours, right? Lee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everyone listening is probably just checking the phone. Three hours. <laughs> it's like on two times speed. Um, no, so, uh, uh, let, let's, let's pick on one of them. Which would you say do you think is the most overlooked, let's say, where, where the consistency is lost in terms of the customer, you know, the customer need? Where is it often? And where are those breakdown points typically in the business that you've worked in and that you work with?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Because I think like a lot of times when I talk to CROs and CEOs these days, like they're... They're doing a reanalysis of their pipeline, and they're thinking about where are the critical breakdowns, so that they can figure out how they get more with less, or how they they maximize uh, in this environment. And I think the interesting thing is actually when most people do that, they're sort of a hammer looking for a nail. And so I think if you see where the problem is, in most cases, the problem actually started earlier, which is an interesting conversation in its own. But I think the the, the main inflection points, if we look at them, it's like they're these really critical moments in the relationship with the customer. Obviously, there's the handoff between SDR and AE, which is really interesting. And there's a lot of, I mean, my goodness, if you ever spend any time on LinkedIn, there's plenty of people out there talking about um, outbound and talking about filling the funnel. And I think there's a lot of interesting work that needs to be done to improve that first sales interaction or the Disco demo, particularly with uh, with, with SaaS as an example. But um, I think there's some attention there. Um, it could always be more and definitely a lot we could talk about. I think the next one, though, that actually doesn't get enough attention is the handover between sales and AM or sales and CS. Uh, and I think it's a little neglected and uh, it's going to rise significantly in importance because what you see happening right now is obviously there's a lot of downselling going on and it's really, really tough in most markets unless you're selling into really traditional markets. But especially as a SaaS business or selling into SaaS, it's really hard to get new logos these days. And the cost... Of sales is going up and up and up, right? And so everyone knows, like, it's way cheaper to get money from existing customers than it is from new customers. But like, really being thoughtful about that as an organization to think about, like, well, what are we doing to be able to maximize the opportunity that we have? Because literally, the customers that we have right now, if you're a SaaS, is if you're a SaaS supplier, someone has decided not to cut you. Like, they literally um, have made a choice, probably with a border C- CFO. So now that they've decided to keep you, like, what, what are you able to do in that space? And so there's some really interesting focus on expansion that's going on now. And, and people are really shifting towards expansion revenue as a priority. But at the same time, a lot of pressure is now coming down on the uh, CS leadership team and the CS performers as individuals and account management, which is you know interchangeable in some organizations to say like, okay, now you're salespeople, (laughs) like go out and we're going to put a huge bogey on you guys actually growing the organization. And I I think the problem is, is that those teams were not built to do that. Um, People who went into like Take take CS in particular, like people didn't go into CS because they wanted to be salespeople. They're uncomfortable with commercial conversations. Um, They want to, in some cases, be very reactive. Like that's their, their, the disposition is we love reacting, responding, problem solving, solving the customer needs. And that's a different role um, as well. And then they're uncomfortable with some of the things, if you actually look at the science around what actually drives commercial success, you know, things like using tension and taking control, like some of those hallmarks of what's driving high performance in sales. These are things that team is very uncomfortable with. And then you put on top of that, like the number of stakeholders. I love the, um, I love the EPSTA data and the research you guys put out with Pavilion Um, that, you know, it's really looking at like, you know, how do you think about relationship health and the number of, you know, everyone's talking about multi-threading. Look, these folks, a lot of times they know how to talk to maybe the users and maybe they know how to talk to the buyers. But at the same time, like that whole universe of of strategic people that actually put those initiatives in place and run the budgets, like they are really struggle with how do they talk to those folks and get access to them as you think about like the things that really matter. And then ultimately, um, when we look at the, great uh, research done by CV and Gartner over the years. Um, What actually drives renewal for an existing account, it's a lot having to do with the quality of service and and the quality of the product, right? Um, But at the same time, what drives expansion for an account? It's the ability to to do something that's actually like articulating business value, talking about customer impact. And I think these teams are less um, business savvy than they need to be typically to say, how do we talk about value in terms that actually relates to the customer Versus like vanity metrics that, that might show up as like the things we think are, are important, but actually do not drive the needle at all. And so if you look at the critical breakdown that typically happens as one point, it's the handover between sales <laughs> and um, how you actually drive, you know, onboarding, adoption, time to value, expansion, renewal, like those, that, that journey, that service roadmap, if you will, uh, companies need to be much more thoughtful about how to execute it. But ultimately, if you don't get that handover right, and you don't do that that really deep work at understanding the customer at the beginning, you're never going to get any of the rest of it right. And, and I think companies are going to struggle with that right now. So it's a big area of focus for uh, for our business.
1: All right, then. So what's the uh, what's the what does the perfect handover look like? How should how should uh, uh, folks listening to the podcast uh, today um, be designing their handovers, and how do they get more value out of it?
0: Uh, sure. Where's the silver bullet? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you just create a form, that the handover form that everybody fills out. We know that the salespeople love filling that out properly. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the account manager or CS person, they know everything and they're just off to the races. Um, it's, it's true. I think a lot of companies are looking at that process to make sure, like, do we have the right information that's transitioning over? And I think you do need to think in practical terms, like, what can we learn through the buying process? to actually integrate that into um, the knowledge that we need to to effectively launch uh, that customer. I think one, I think learning a lot of companies are gonna go through is they're gonna actually debate, should our CS team or account managers actually be involved prior to the close? I think that's a really great opportunity to create the alignment and make, uh, stand up that customer for success. And oh, by the way, if you actually look at data, like they like, companies like to buy from teams. (laughs) They don't just trust what the salesperson's saying, and you've got this whole team buying this thing, whether you see them or not at the, at the in that process. And if you're not bringing other people into the process as well, like the level of credibility and trust and the setup for success. So I think that's where you can start. It's by thinking about how do we get these teams to overlay and work together where, where it makes sense, especially on priority accounts. How do we um, make sure that what we're whatever the package is that's going between the account executives and the AMs or the CS folks, it's really gotten to the root of like, who cares about this initiative? Why? Why is it important? How do they track and measure what success looks like? And ultimately, um, what's the existing problem that we're trying to solve for? So not just focusing on the ROI if we do this really well, but focusing on the cost of the problems that are happening right now that we immediately need to jump on. Um, and we're the main reason that there's urgency to get this done. And so if they're able to do that, you know, if, if the account executives are able to do that and then hand that story over, Then you're already set up to say, okay, here's where where we're going to be your partners for success and talk about that versus, um, oh, yeah, like this is how we're going to share all the great features and benefits of our platform or our product. Like that's the focus of the onboarding discussion. So they think, you know, we're thinking about utilization as the key objective. But actually, we should be thinking more about how are they going to, you know, define success when our buyer goes to the, the CFO and asks for more money. Um, or, or or more definition. So the handover really needs to package up what that story is, what they're trying to achieve. It has to get a little bit into the metrics. And then what we need to avoid as uh, account managers and CS folks is I think they get shy about, oh my God, like they've had so many conversations before I got here. The last thing I want to do is piss off my new customer by making them tell me everything all over again. And so you just jump back into sort of talking about yourselves, right? Like, and, and you're only setting yourself up then as an expert on yourself and your products which means when you do your check-ins, when you do your, Q- your QBRs, they may not even show up because they, they know you're just going to talk about yourself and try to sell them more stuff. Whereas if you start that conversation based around, hey, um, we work with companies like you to achieve this objective all the time. Here's the things you want to you want to avoid. These are the mistakes other folks make. These are the things that actually drive success. Like if you do that from the beginning of that handover process, when you first are onboarding the client, they're going to want to pick up the phone and call you to actually teach them how to be smarter. And that's really the pivot point we want in the relationship uh, for, for organizations that we work with.
1: Yeah. And I I think it also, um, uh, to talk to it even from a a marketer's perspective to the other end of the journey, is actually that information becomes valuable when you get into the realms of, you know, adoption of your product as well. Right. Because, and once you've got them onboarded, you want them to be using it and to be getting value from it. And also it's like, oh my God, we've got all of these great features and these guys, you know, they're not using any of it. And what I find the conversation always begins with is, why did they buy it in the first place? Because when we know why they you know, purchased it and what problem that we're trying to solve, that'll help, you know, from a product marketing perspective, then the kind of messaging that you want to create to be like, hey, you know, you're sending out an email, for example, it's like, hey, did you know that you can do this? Did you know you, you you're able to do all of these extra things that you're paying for at the minute, but you're actually you're actually not getting value out of?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing is nobody wants to hear from you <laughs> as a salesperson. As a, like, it's not it shouldn't be about you. You are a vehicle. You're a conduit for knowledge. And I think it's you know, as a salesperson, you're talking to so many other people who have that job every day. And if you're not learning a lot of valuable information that, and sharing it, then you're not doing justice. To yourself or to the, or to the prospect, but even it's even more contingent upon you that that you as an account manager or a CS person, like you talk to so many existing customers who are willing to share anything with you, like what's working, what's not working, like you can be a conduit for those stories, and then it's not about you trying to sell them more; it's about them trying to be more successful and get the greatest leverage out of your capabilities, and that changes the nature of the relationship. You're not chasing them, trying to overprove all the time. They're actually leaning towards you because you're saying like, hey, this is somebody I want to bring into a meeting with my boss, because they're going to help us make better decisions. And that's, I think that that's a fundamental 180 degree different relationship that you're trying to establish. And yeah, absolutely. Like if you're data driven in that approach, then you're going to help them operate, you know, in a a much more business savvy way as well.
1: Yeah. And so that is fantastic in theory. So to to go back to something that you were saying at the very beginning of our conversation, then but it's all about the execution of it. And, and you kind of alluded to it where, uh, for salespeople, yeah, they love doing the handover it's the best part of the sale. Right. Um, but you know, and, and like so many things and, you know, in, in, in your background, you know, working with methodologies, it's the same kind of ball game where it's like, okay, we've got this fantastic methodology that in our heads is going to work amazingly. But in reality, the biggest challenge is actually getting people to follow it. And I find so often that that comes from them believing in it and seeing the value from it. So looking at it from the perspective then of, you know, improving the handover, from from your experience of when you're going into businesses nowadays, um, what's your approach to, you know, ensuring change management goes smoothly and ensuring that there's actual execution on
0: it? Yeah, because it, it's it's so hard to get right. Like behavior change is, is really difficult. Change management is an organization. So I think the thing we find now is, especially in higher growth organizations but pretty much everywhere like everything is changing right so the pace of change is so fast and if you think of, if you if you get down to the first line manager level or the field level it's really overwhelming and so how do you simplify a lot of this to make people actually better in their in their day job so it's not like you know again it's not rocket science and like how does this meet you know the core things i need to do the conversation i'm having tomorrow I And mean, i think if if you're going to think about a lot of what i'm talking about is organizational support So describing that, like, to to tell an account manager or a CS person to go out and do this on their own, they're going to say, wow, like, that's a, like, I'm not a consultant. Like, that's not my skill set. That's not what I was hired to do. Sounds great. I'd love to. So part of it's convincing them that this is what your customer wants. Um, And it does go back to the really interesting study around the sales profiles and the challenger versus the relationship builder, which a lot of people have read that book or seen that the idea that, you know, you wouldn't be surprised to know that a lot of Account managers, yes, are more the relationship builder approach, right? And the relationship builder really believes like being really generous with my time is going to reward. Uh, it's great for the customer, great for me. They're going to reward me with their business. And in fact, what we now know intimately well and in painful situations is if you're friends with the customer and they're busy and they've got other stuff to do or they've got a cut budget, like you might be the last person they call because they feel bad <laughs> telling you that they're moving the business to someone else or they need a downsell. Or, hey, they may actually bully you because it's like, okay, like, you want to help me? What do I need as a discount right now? So why don't you give me like 30% discount and then you're going you're gonna to be my best friend? And so moving the conversation to business value is a, it's, it's a combination of um, organizational insight on the customer that you can package up to actually give these teams the ability to say, hey, listen, like, and sales enablement obviously works on like, how do I take those ideas and build collateral? So we can steer and guide these conversations to make them much more valuable. So it's as much as like, I'm giving you some teaching advice to give to the customer from the balance of what we learn from other customers, right? Like that's the simplest, easiest thing to start giving to your teams is like, what are things I can teach to actually deliver value versus the extraction of value and things that I'm doing to help them help me sell, right? Which people can see a mile away. So that's a starting point is like, get great messaging content Great get get great insight that's going to be valuable to help your customer think differently about their challenges. That's generally should be an organizational capability between sales, marketing, uh, even product, product marketing, and then the field teams, right? Like you create a feedback loop for that, and that's pr- in practical terms makes the jobs way way easier. But you need to build a system that does that right. Um, the thing I think is really interesting to to, to look at right now though is the, the first line managers who manage the CS account managers and, and AEs like. A lot of these are new managers, uh, especially in SaaS companies these days. Um, and they're dealing with all this change. They're communicating the stuff down to the field. They're trying to drive performance improvements. Everybody's being asked to like step up their game. And these folks, like maybe they were really good as a CS or an account manager, or maybe they were really good as a salesperson. That's not going to make them a great first-line sales manager. And so there's a lot of work been done and a lot of great research around this sort of idea of this double jump, right? So the, the jump of going from that role in the field to being a good manager of that team. But then the, the, the jump to like, oh, wait, now we actually have to do something differently than we did a few years ago when I was doing what I was doing. I'm not teaching people to do what I did. I'm teaching actually people to do things maybe I couldn't even do, which is like talk about business value and, and root in sort of these, these richer kind of more insight-driven conversations. In order to be able to do that, they've got to be great at coaching, like behavioral science. Like How do I observe objectively the behaviors that good looks like and i reinforced those across my team. And so in, a, in practical terms, we think one of, the, one of the most important things companies should focus on right now is how does a manager review the calls that their team is having with the customer through an objective lens to be able to actually pinpoint, like, what's the behavior change that's going to be actionable for them? And so we focused a lot on not only building sort of the skill set of what managers in any of those roles need to do now but also giving them tools to say, okay, well, this is what a good conversation looks like. This is what good opportunity management looks like. This is how I'm going to actually observe my team and not just teach them to be like me. And so building better actionable tools there and supporting the first line sales managers or account manager managers, et cetera, I think is is a huge weakness in organizations today. and something you really need to focus on because at the end of the day, all change is going to live and die with them, right? If they don't take it seriously or if they don't do this, people are going to struggle and they're going to go back to their old habits regardless. And then, and then I think at the field level as where we started, it's then being able to provide those same sort of actionable insights to the field to say, okay, you know, how do I have a great conversation at those critical moments? What does great look like? Provide the content and provide the tools. So we're talking about opportunity management, frameworks to help them kind of really install this kind of ecosystem in this operating process. Um, and then even just guides for like, what does good look like on, on this? You know, What do I, what should I, what questions do I need to ask when? What do I do with that information? And then how does that turn into the story of change that I'm going to help drive for that customer? So the connectivity between, you know, think of it as a service roadmap for an existing account that will actually go back to the business case and what I'm helping with when it's from, it starts with the onboarding handover, it goes through the QBRs and the check-ins, it leads into the renewal and expansion conversations. It should all be rooted back to that same story. And then how am I getting great insight and information into that story to make each of those meetings valuable? So I'm being proactive, not reactive. So that's some of the the, the main, main components. Um, I will say, for I know there's a lot there, but um, we actually have at Insight Revenue, the the former head of research from CB and Gartner. And so as far as like the importance of science and data, the ability to audit um, what you're doing, the impact studies you're doing for your customer, the ability to do research, like this is a core capability that a lot of organizations don't have that I think if you look, C.V. Gartner, some of the greatest organizations on earth on doing that. So having that capability to be able to focus for customers, they can do their own ability to audit benchmarks themselves as they go from the organization down to the individual level. Like that's a core part of what we think organizations need to stay the course and improve over time. Um, so, yeah, so sorry, happy to unpack any of those, but that's kind of the, the four big uh, components I would think of.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I think that was a perfect way of, of summarizing it as well. And I, I would second the point that you mentioned at the end, which was really the big thing that was coming up for me, which was um, everything that you described is really around the frameworks that you can then build to to ensure the consistent adoption of it. And really what all of that stems from was, that, I think the bit that you mentioned at the end there, which was actually what the insight is, which is we can see that by doing X, is delivering result Y on the other end of it. Because that's then around, because for um, uh, AMs and for for reps who you're implementing these changes with, you want to be showing them, this is how, you you know, what are they incentivized on? For a rep, it's around, you know, them being able to close more deals, right? Or being able to expand. And it's putting it, it's taking that insight and putting it into their language, which is, you know, regardless of all the business metrics, because, you know, in reality, it's how will this help me to close more? How will it help me to hit my target and hit my own goals? And if you can take that insight and turn it into their language, which is how it gets them to from A to B, then it's like, okay, you know, everything else is I can I can buy into that. I find that often the resistance is, yeah, that all sounds great. And, and it can be, um, you know, depending on where your business is, can be, complicated i find sometimes to build those frameworks um and what you want really and the most important thing is to have everyone's belief and buy-in into i i get it i, I know why we're doing this I, i'm on this journey together um to really see the results at the end of it
0: yeah and what you're describing is what everyone wants to feel like they everyone uses the term partnership too <laughs> liberally. like uh, yeah. are we a partner are we a vendor are we a supplier like what everyone wants to be a partner right or a trusted advisor And i think that's that's how you do it. Like if you can show that I've helped many more people do exactly what you're trying to do and successfully, that's the kind of partnership I want. So guide me, be prescriptive, like steer me along the way, make sure I don't make the same mistakes others have made versus like, oh, well, you know, like I'm an expert on my product and I can teach you how to use it. And by the way, like I can talk to you about utilization to make sure that you spend all all the credits... (laughs) that you've you're using all your licenses right like you want, like these these kind of vanity things like that's not really helpful and that's why you know we want people to show up for the calls we want people to pick up the phone and call you whether you're a salesperson or uh, someone in cs and then you've got something valuable to share with them and i think that's you know th- that's the core to it and providing tools training templates and ultimately content is how you make this really easy for folks um, you know versus just you know, what you can't do is just train them and then ask them to do something aspirational and then not really show them like the steps along that yellow brick road
1: you touched on what I think is a really important part there which is um, uh, it's uh, having that data and insight to begin with to know where to then build everything else you know the, the having the tools and frameworks that come next so um uh, you kind of mentioned the audit there but could you elaborate a bit more on what that audit looks like and what you're looking to find and really where you're looking for the, for, for the leakage in, in the pipeline there.
0: Yeah, this is great. I know you don't want me to talk about Epsta, <laughs> but <laughs> so this is where actually, and we're, we're definitely excited to be um, you know partnering with Epsta to really look at like a combination of how you do qualitative and quantitative data analysis to really audit a go-to-market for an organization. So for us, it, it really starts at looking at the full life cycle of the customer and being able to understand, yeah, like what's working and not working so that you can identify best practices and scale them. And also you can identify, um, you know, breakdowns and blockages. And, and I think the data that you guys provide to your customers is fantastic. And then it's, you know, what, what else would you need to be able to actually um, arm yourself as an organization to drive change? So And then I think benchmarking is really important. Like how are we measuring up versus how other people are doing just versus like we're in our own bubble? And that's where, like, building up a robust um, research capability for us, and and you know, doing more and more of these studies is going to help us be bringing in more value as far as insight on broadly what's happening, but also organizationally, we can focus that for leadership teams. And so, it starts with, I think, um, I, th- I think of it as like, what's the signature for high performance? <laughs> so, bringing outside ideas into your organization uh, a lot of times leads to organ rejection. So. One of the things I loved about the work of CV and Gardner, it's like really based on like, okay, a lot of things we're talking about are, is already happening in your organization. Um, the, the signature for high performance broadly has some commonalities, but being able to tell someone in, individually, hey, this is what makes your top 20% better than your core in all of these different roles. Like that's really important, right? So you can do it by role, but you can also do it by looking at like execution across the different stages of the customer experience. And then I think, Um, having that kind of audit, like the things, the kind of things we do is we love to listen to people's calls and actually see what are, not what have you told them to do and what's your process and how you're on, but like, what are the actual conversations you're having with your customers? That's great qualitative talking to people's customers. We find that most of the time you're asking self-interested questions of your customers, even what you're doing in product marketing side. So we love, love to do is actually ask questions of people's customers to dig into like, what are your problems? And by the way, like I know you're buying this thing, but like how important is that in the other areas of like what you're spending money on and what you're prioritizing as far as initiatives? Because a lot of the time what you need to do is elevate yourself by marrying what, what you're doing at this level to something more strategic. But if you don't know what those other strategic things are and the relevance, like yeah, good luck getting to the more senior stakeholders later. So what we try to do is come in and, and you know do a robust data analysis, do some robust interviews, Uh, review of what folks are actually doing today and especially not only just interviewing folks but listening to the conversations they're having and then the combination of that and then doing a a survey or diagnostic of our own. We actually can look, we can actually have uh, assessments your teams can take to help filter back this information. For example, one of the things we love to look at uh, to help managers out is manager time spend. First line managers are so overwhelmed. So how are your best managers spending time and prioritizing what they do with their teams? How do their teams actually see value in the coaching they're doing, and the time spend. So you can get a blueprint for like how managers can actually better prioritize and coach and things like that. So that's one specific example of something we think that's going to be super valuable as far as the audit is concerned for, for what uh, our customers are going to need to be data driven, um, but also like to, to codify an objective view of high performance that works for their organization. I really
1: like that way of, uh, of putting it also in the lens of, of looking at it as well. Um, uh, and... It's that particular view on what, you know, high performance looks like and, you know, from uh, selfishly from what we've been looking at is, you know, what are the common factors of high performance across across sales teams, for example, and it's what are those specific things that they're doing that is helping them to, you know, consistently hit their quota. And I think that's a. A really important lens to look at it through, and to, to, to the point that you made, you know, looking at it in terms of what what what's the behaviour, right? Um, you know, even down to that individual pipeline stages, it's how how long do you typically have deals in that stage? Because what we found through doing the analysis that we ran was you'd have some reps who would have, you know, they'd be amazing at closing, you know, compared to their their, their teammates, they would perhaps close it like fifty percent faster. But then actually we found that they were spending loads and loads of time on discovery. And it's like, well, is it cause and effect? You know, and, and it's looking for those smaller areas to drive greater efficiencies. And that's really where then to kind of answer the question that I originally asked, you know, that's where you get to the point of, you know, being able to see where you have the the big issues in your pipeline is looking at the bigger picture to look at, um, where are the, you know, where are we losing out at the minute? Where, you know, where are we falling behind on where we need to be and where we need to get to? Um, and often then, cause of, from our perspective, you know, as a, as a, as a tool that helps us out, the bit that's missing is actually the the wider change management that goes with it because yep. it, you know, you, you, you mentioned it earlier there's no silver bullet for all of these things but it's actually pulling all of these different areas together into a coherent strategy and a a coherent um plan as well to actually execute on it that that remains the biggest challenge
0: yeah let me give you a perfect example so what happens in most organizations is you look at your superstars right and you'll tell everybody like hey jane over here did this everybody do that and it makes sense right like Oh, they multi-threaded better. They got to the CEO. Like, how, like, let's just go do what they did. How did they do it? Well, shocking, maybe not surprising, is that the top one, 2%, most of what they're doing, you can't replicate. <laughs> yeah. So you're already setting it. So as far as change management is concerned, showing people an, un, an unattainable standard that's based on some of the things that are unique to that individual is a typical way of going about it. When you look at, you kind of, you can identify the problem and then look at what the best people do. But actually, if you go to the full 20, if you actually go beyond the top 1-2% of those superstars, and you look at the top 20% as a whole, and you use data to figure out, like, how are they operating differently, that's way more scalable. And so a lot of what we could, you know, and the EPSA data is great, because it'd be like, oh, yeah, you have, you know, are the best deals have this relationship score, or, you know, are multi-threaded in this way. But the question is, how? How do you do it? And so a combination of qualitative and quantitative, you can actually look at, Right? How are best people doing it? What's scalable about that? What's the process? How do we then distill that and then give it to our sales enablement team and also build the tools that are kind of tailored to our organization to allow people to do that themselves? And that people, as far as change management, you're going to believe something that's working already, you know, on the desk next to you. But if somebody shows up with an outside idea and says, "This is what's working at Google," like in most scale, like that's not going to drive that's not going to drive any change. So I think. Like what you're talking about. it's absolutely right it's taking it's being able to use data but then like having it resonate for individuals so it feels real and it feels practical and, and getting that it's really hard to get that right and so i think that's a lot of companies i see they're working on that right now but they're going to be coming out of these like quarterly meetings and they're going to have a plan in place but the getting the connection with like actual how do we get people to want to change and then have the capability to change is really the hard part
1: yeah yeah i completely agree
0: uh
1: Zach, I want to ask you one final question before we sign off. Um, What is one book that you would recommend to other revenue leaders?
0: There's been a lot of great books published by my colleagues and organizations I've worked for. And I I will absolutely say go read all of those because they inform a lot of what next to be the the next chapter. I think one book I always go back to that I love, and I've actually heard many people say, I'm I'm reading it again, is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. So I think, hey, these days, negotiation is important but uh, it's, you know, negotiation isn't about tricks. It's about a deeper understanding of the customer. And I think Chris Voss, I think, really leans on is getting them to believe you actually care to understand what their needs are, but then actually getting them to understand your needs. And that sort of drives the conversation. And so I think I think it's also just really well-written. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go with that one. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of others I could mention.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'd second that, um, and, and especially... Because taking what could be a fairly um, uh, almost scientific type book in a way, Uh, it's uh, as you say, extremely well written. But um, uh, it tells a very good story, and uh, and and that is probably a really nice place to leave it. Actually, because you know, from everything we've talked about, you know, from understanding the customer need, it's actually being able to tell a good story throughout all of it. Um, Because it's not just oh, my product is this. It's you know. Here's how it's going to make your day so much easier. You know, here's how it's going to make your quarter so much better. Um, All right, Zach, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And for everyone that's listened, perhaps they've got some questions. Perhaps they want to uh, check you out a little bit more. Where can they find you?
0: Yeah, well, uh, you can write to uh, info at So Just reverse the revenue insight. And uh and yeah, and we're we're global, so we've got offices and based out of uh Europe and the US. And so uh and find me on LinkedIn. So it's uh it's Zachary Gropper. Uh and so I look forward to uh yeah, anyone who wants to reach out, have any questions, would absolutely uh love to continue the discussion uh with anyone who's listening.
1: We'll we'll put links to all those down below to make it even easier to find. Brilliant. Zach, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I guess I'm going to allow you to enjoy some more of the Spanish sunshine. Yeah, uh,
0: thanks Lee. Great to great to uh, speak with you, man. Uh, have a good one.
1: Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.